0: We talked a little bit about uh, what it means to have a correct perception and then we talked about perception and deductive perception and that's where you get into logic, okay? You need logic to see through blind spots in your own mind, okay? okay. Many places in your mind that you can not see and there are many objects around you. For example, emptiness, uh, subtle workings of karma, uh, hungry ghosts, Past and future lives—they're around you. You exist in them. You can't see them, and these things you have to see with initially with logic, and then as your meditation gets stronger, you see them directly in meditation. But you think of your mind as a as, as having many many blank spots. Okay, like there are many more things in the world to see than you can imagine, and your mind is not seeing all of them because you have certain obstacles, and you can drill through those obstacles by using logic. And that's why we study reasoning and, and the art of reasoning, figuring out things. Okay? We're going to experiment with one of the most important of them tonight, which is the reasonings that can help you drill through the block you have. You have a mental block for not seeing that you had a past life and you have a future life. You know, uh, uh, we, in the West, and Tibetans also, and, and people in India, had a mental block for seeing those things. And you have to use logic to start to chip away at that block. And then at some point, uh, you can see future lives directly uh, in your meditation. But in the meantime, you have to prove it with logic. Okay? Um, where does this come up in the scriptures? Why are we talking about future lives in the pramana Vartika, in the logic text? It's because somebody has said that if you spend long enough, that the evolution of all human minds is ultimate compassion and, and omniscience. Every living person will become a Buddha. You know, Every living creature will become a Buddha. The evolution of all minds that are alive today is that eventually they will become a Buddha. To do that, you need ultimate compassion. Okay? And so the text is going to be talking about uh, three different kinds of compassion okay and I'll talk a little bit about that Mm. Ningje. Ningje. Ning means heart. Uh, J means lord or king, like jetonkapa Kapa or Dorje. Okay, and uh, so Ningje means Lord of Hearts, and it's uh, the word in Tibetan for compassion. Okay, so Ningje means compassion. All right, King of all hearts. All right, in Sanskrit, Karuna. we're going to discuss three different kinds of Ningjai three different levels of Ningjai first level Ningjai what we call ordinary Ningjai is simply the desire that other people be free of suffering like you see someone who's having a hard time and you say I wish they didn't have that suffering I wish they could be free from that suffering that attitude or that state of mind is called Ningjai that's compassion Okay. now I'll give you a second level Chembo. Chembo. Ninja. Chembo. Chembo. In Tibetan, I'm sorry, Sanskrit, Mahakaruna. This is called great compassion, okay, and it's distinguished from regular old compassion. Great compassion means uh, I wish that people could be free of suffering. And I take responsibility to make it happen. And I don't care if nobody helps me. I don't care if what, okay? But I will make sure it gets done. So that's the difference between ordinary compassion and great compassion, okay? That's a. I I will become a Buddha so I can help them do that, okay? Great compassion. Tukje? Uh, chembo. Tukje? Chembo. Tuk means mind or heart in the same way that Ning does, but this is the honorific form. You see, this is the high form of the word. Like, what you're going to talk about the Dalai Lama's mind, you don't say sem you say Tuk. Okay? And Tuk means uh, your Holy Excellency's mind. You see what I mean? It's the high word for mind. So Tukje Chembo is used to describe the compassion of an enlightened being. Okay? So this is compassion in the in the mindstream of an enlightened being. And these are three different stages in the evolution of what you can call compassion in a normal person. Okay? So it's it's not too unusual to meet someone who would like that other people around them don't suffer. That's Ninge. Okay? <laughs> and then to meet a person who says, specifically, uh, I understand that if I became an enlightened being, and then I could emanate thousands upon thousands of other bodies to help people all over the world and other planets as well, in one millisecond, that that would be cool. And, and I want to do that. I decided I'm going to do that. That's Chembo. Now, how many people on this planet, at this current moment... You know, from appearances are actually sitting there, uh, obsessed with the idea of, of reaching this state so they can help other people. You know what I mean? Very, uh, rare. Okay? Very rare to find, uh, somebody thinking like that. Okay? Somebody who's willing to spend every single waking moment of their day, uh, trying to get people enlightened. You know, uh, specifically. Okay? That would be (laughs) Ninja Chembo. Okay. then Tukje Chembo would be a person who is already enlightened and they're going about doing what they have to do to help people remove their suffering. Okay. And, and this is what we call hundu. You might know Tibetans whose name is Khunduk. Hundu means it's automatic, it's a reflex. They don't think about it, it just happens. Okay. The minute you reach enlightenment, uh, Tukje Chambu is automatic, you have great compassion for everybody and you are sending out your emanating bodies wherever someone needs it without any thought process it's automatic okay it's a result of your extraordinary karma okay Uh, that it's happening automatically okay how long does it take to go through those three stages of compassion you see Uh, Master Dharmakirti has been trying to prove that it's possible for every single mind stream on this planet, meaning every person in this room will become enlightened. It's not a question of whether or not you'll become enlightened. It's just a question of how fast. Okay? So Democritus, Master Damakuri is trying to prove that every being in this room will become an enlightened being. How do you do it? You have to go through these three stages. And normally it takes more than one lifetime. Okay? I mean, to, to develop all three in one lifetime would be extraordinary and Master Dhammakiri is saying look we have to talk about multiple lifetimes you have to start working on it now if you study Vinaya in the opening lines of the Vinaya Sutras um, there are lots of descriptions of how many years it took Lord Buddha to get to this it's something like 75 75 and 76 plus 77 times 10 to the 60th power year Kalpa Okay? Meaning each one of those being millions and millions of years. So I mean, to go through this process normally takes more than one lifetime. Uh, and you have to practice. I mean, Master Shatideva said anyone can do it with practice, but you have, to, you have to practice it a lot. To try to get to a state, I mean, even to have number two, you would pretty much have to see that enlightenment was possible. You see what I mean? Because Number two is like deciding to get enlightened, and to work your whole life, every hour of your life, every single moment of your life, trying to get other people enlightened. Okay, and that's the that in itself is an extraordinary state. Okay, so this is where future lives comes in. Master Dharma Kirti is not trying to prove future lives to a bunch of people who don't believe in future lives to try to get them to do A or B or C. He's bumped into some non-Buddhists in ancient India who said, you cannot develop these kinds of compassion because it would take too long and you're going to die before you can. So just forget it. Okay? And he says, no, 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 we're talking multiple lifetimes here. And they say, you're crazy. And they give three arguments against future lives. Okay? They come up to Master Dhammakirti. These are the Chavakas, okay? I'll spell it for you. In, in Sanskrit <laughs> and they're saying it's impossible that there's a future life and and Master says no it's not impossible because after the body dies the mind goes on Okay? That's Master Dharmakirti's big shtick. After the body dies, the mind goes on. Okay? Then they come back with impossible. Okay? No such thing. And then Master Dharmakirti says, why do you think that? And they say, three reasons. Okay? <coughs> I'll just put them in plain English. Let's see. Mm. I mean, they're going to give three arguments. You, sound, you, you, you see if they sound familiar, okay? The first argument is this. Uh, we think the mind is actually a physical thing. You see? You cut open the head, you look inside, there's this stuff in there, and that's the mind, okay? And, and that's, that's not, only, see, they're not only saying that's where the mind stays, they're saying that is the mind, okay? Your brain is your mind. Okay? And, and that's their first argument, okay? So that if the body dies, then the mind cannot go on, because the mind is part of the body. Okay? And you've got to think, think like that. Okay? If the brain was to die, then the mind would die, and stop, and go, and, and it wouldn't go on to a next life. You can't get ultimate compassion, you don't have time, and there's no such thing as a Buddha. Okay? And that's their first argument. Okay, so the mind is part of the body. It belongs in the brain. It is the brain, okay? It is the brain. that wasn't the case oh by the way well the example they gave in the first part is like beer and the ability to get you drunk you see what I mean or alcohol the substance called alcohol and the characteristic of alcohol which is that it can get you drunk okay it's almost like saying the redness of apples or something okay they say it's part of the apple it's not like it's a separate thing redness is a part of apples red apples okay and uh, something like that so they say you can't take away the beer and take away and not take away the ability to get you drunk they are one and the same okay that's important later they're setting up Master Dharmakirti. okay if he agrees to that he's already in trouble but we'll see why later okay but that, that's their first argument second argument is that the mind depends on the body the way a picture hangs on a wall The way a picture hangs on a wall. Meaning, even if we agree that the mind is separate from the body somehow, that always rests on the body. Okay? The mind is always depending on the body. If you take away the wall, what happens to the picture? It falls down. Okay? So, first of all, we say the mind is part of the body, the brain. Even if it wasn't, even if it was some separate thing, it's always resting on the body. You take away the body the mind is going to fall down and die, okay? So they they are depending on each other like a, uh, a relationship like that. So even if the mind isn't the body, the mind must at least be resting on the body. And in such a way that if you pull out the body, the mind dies, okay? That's their second argument. argument is, well, even if that's not the case, at least the mind grows from the body. Okay? Like uh, the embryo starts to form, and the cells start to get together, and there's more and more cells, and then at some point there's enough cells that the brain forms, and then you can think, okay? and then the mind starts to function. Okay? If you take away the cause, which is the body, then the mind will be stopping shortly afterwards. Okay? So they say, A mind, uh, body and mind are like a lamp and the light that comes out of a lamp, okay? Which is the result of the lamp, see what I mean? These are their three arguments for why the mind does not go on after you die. And they don't, they say, we don't care which one you accept, Uh, you can think of it any one of those three ways, like the alcohol, like the picture on the wall, or like the light and its, the lamp and its light. But in either case, in any one of these cases, you take away the body, the mind cannot survive. Okay, Sound familiar? Right. First one saying that the mind is the brain, or is some physical part of your body. Okay. Second one saying uh, the mind is floating on your body, and when the body collapses and dies, the mind dies, always dies. Okay. Third one saying when the body reaches a certain point of development, then you can start having a mind. And when the body's development stops and it dies, then the mind stops also. Okay? And this is, uh, this is the Western viewpoint. It boils down in the Chavaka's arguments to something very simple. They say, uh, Master Dharmakirti, how do you know the mind goes on? And he says, well, how do you know it doesn't go on? And they say, look, uh, when somebody dies, the body just lays there. It doesn't move anymore. So he says, does that prove that the mind is gone? And they say, yeah. Talk to the guy. Shake him. Try to poke him with a pin. He won't complain at all. You know what I mean? They don't, they don't twitch anymore. The, the fact that the body stops and doesn't twitch anymore proves that the mind has died also. Okay? And that's their argument. And by the way, that's about the only argument that a, a Western can give you also. You know, I mean, that's the most obvious argument for believing that the mind stops when the body stops. It's just that the body doesn't move anymore, okay? And that's like saying, or the guy can't talk to me anymore, so the mind's not there anymore. That's like saying, uh, because the truck broke down on the New Jersey turnpike, that the driver's dead. Okay, it's exactly the same argument. The truck's not moving. The guy must be dead, okay? Uh, It's actually just an equipment failure, okay? He can't talk to you. I mean, it doesn't have any bearing on whether the mind is there or not. The fact that the body is incapable now of functioning, even if there was a mind there, the tongue can't move, right? It's broken. It's dead. Uh, Then what does that prove about the mind? It doesn't prove anything. You can't say that the mind is definitely not there because the body is broken any more than you can say that the driver of a truck has died because the truck's not moving anymore, okay? There's something wrong with the truck, so the driver died. Something like that. Just some kind of argument. In your own mind, you believe that argument. Somewhere, culturally, you have a blind spot and, and you have this real belief that when your body dies, your mind will die and you think that and and you've been inculcated to think that and your culture has taught you to think that way and you believe it and you believe it unreasonably and you believe it for wrong reasons. And, There's no proof for that. You know, people used to come up to me and say, "Prove future lives exist. And then I'd give them all these arguments, Dharmakirti's second chapter, problem of art, blah, 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 blah. And then finally I got tired. I said, You prove to me that the mind dies. You know, let's switch, let's reverse the, you know, let's reverse the thing. I'm exhausted. I'm tired of trying to prove to you that future lives exist. You prove to me they don't. You prove to me the mind doesn't go on. By the way, Buddhism doesn't say that there's some soul or spirit. We don't have to have a pung sumba. Pung sumba in logic means, something beyond mind and body that goes on you don't have to worry about that you don't have to think like that we're not saying that there's some eternal spirit blah 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 it's not that difficult your mind goes on okay the mind goes on the, the body and the mind are separate things and the mind goes on okay you prove to me that I'm wrong okay yes but to prove that
1: you are wrong not, not to be able to prove that you are wrong doesn't mean
0: absolutely not to be right. able to prove that I'm, wrong, that I'm wrong doesn't mean I'm right but let's start like that. We say dungyur ki tetsong. Say dungyur ki tetson. Dungyur ki means reasonable doubt. Okay? Don't go telling me the mind doesn't go on because you haven't proved it either. You cannot disprove what I say about the mind. So at least have dungyur ki At least entertain the possibility that the mind goes on. Okay? I mean, people used to ask me, my personal argument for future lives, okay? this is not from scripture. Okay. Anything that can happen once can happen twice. I mean, given infinite odds, given infinite time, given infinite uh, interactions between all the objects in the universe, why can't it happen again? You know, I mean, if you only only have five minutes of time, maybe it wouldn't happen again. You have eternity. Whatever made me happen once can make me happen again. I don't see any reason why not. You know, it seems perfectly reasonable to me. You can tell me it takes a jillion years of, of chemicals running around. But if it happens again, I mean, it would happen again. Why not? Why can't something that happens once happen again if the possibilities are infinite? You know, if time is infinite. But that's not, that's my own argument, okay? Yeah.
1: Sorry?
0: Oh, we don't accept uh, an idea of a soul. Okay? There is no beginning. Because you can't have a chicken without an egg. You can't have an egg without a chicken. You can't have a moment of consciousness without a moment of consciousness before it. Therefore, the mind has no beginning. And incidentally, it has no end. Okay? Period. And, and that proves we understand causation. And you don't understand causation. Because you think it has to be a Big Bang. Then I always was joking around in class, you know, what made the Big Bang happen? Buddhism says all results and all causes must have another cause, okay? So Big Bang would mean there's one cause or one result in the world that didn't have a cause. So I used to say, well, there must have been a second Big Bang before the first Big Bang. And then one of my students in class at the Quaker church said, the New York Times reported yesterday that there were two Big Bangs because there had to be a Big Bang to make the Big Bang, you know? And, and uh, I'm like, wow, you know? And I wonder when they'll report the third one, you know, uh, you know what I mean? So, yeah, we say there's no beginning, and we're proud of it, and we're not afraid to say that. There is no beginning, because things are caused, okay? And there is no first moment of consciousness,
1: okay. Yeah? Just from the wording, just for a quick question, do you use mind consciousness and awareness as a similar thing?
0: Am I using consciousness and awareness as a similar thing? Yeah, right now I am. Right now I am, okay. I like to use the word awareness rather than consciousness because when I say consciousness, you think of your brain. You have a picture of a a physical thing. When I say awareness, the fact that you can see me right now, the fact that you can hear Kirin in the back, you know, the fact that you're wondering when refreshments are gonna come, you know, this is, this is awareness. And it is not your body. It's something else. Okay, get used to it. I mean, you look down and see your body. Okay, big deal. But your mind is much bigger than that. And it's not the same stuff. It's it's hanging around this particular form at the present time. Will it in the future? No. Okay. Why? It's called death. When the body dies, does the mind just go away? I don't know. There's probably a pretty good chance that it doesn't go away. Okay. And if the scriptures are right, that that the thirty seconds later you're in this extraordinary hallucination of terror, then it's worth it to check it out. You know, it's worth it to think about it. Okay.
1: All
0: right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and of course, the fact that different children have totally different personalities, even twins. Uh, Can't have anything to do with their past lives or anything like that, okay? all right. Uh, By the way, just the variety of of personalities that you see in children is, is to... if you were truly impartial, you'd have to admit it must be coming from somewhere, okay? I mean, children... Certain children already seem angry. Certain children already seem peaceful. Certain children already seem different ways. You can't attribute that all to some kind of bumps in a taxi cab that happened when the mother was pregnant or something. You know what I mean? This is a weak argument. Okay. Question four for Brooks. Why can't the cause of your mind be, at birth, the living physical matter? Okay. So, by the way, we divide between. If you're going to argue whether the mind is caused by physical matter or not, you've got to go to Wang Basu.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 Say Wang Basu. Wang Basu. Uh, if you're going to decide whether or not the cause of the mind is physical, you've got to go at it two ways. Is it, living phys- is it living physical matter or inanimate physical matter? You see what I mean? Is it the kind of physical matter which has life or is it physical matter which is just rocks and chemicals and oxygen and, okay, that's the question. So K of J divides it into two kinds of physical matter. First we have to prove that the mind can't come from living physical matter. Then you have to prove that the mind can't come from chemicals or, or inanimate physical matter. Okay? Once you've done that you've covered all physical matter and you've got to go looking somewhere else for the cause of the mind. Okay? But let's do it by elimination. So he does it by elimination. When we, stop, when we talk about Nyelengi it should have two qualities. I mean, one is it should come before its result. It had to have come at 359 if we're talking about the result at 4 o'clock. That's the nature of causes and results. Secondly, it must somehow be similar. There must be some continuity of some kind of characteristic. Okay, You don't plant apple seeds and sit there and wait for watermelons. Okay? It doesn't happen like that. There must be some kind of similarity between the cause which is taken out of an apple and the result which is going to be an apple okay there has to be some kind of continuity there so we have to look at the qualities of living physical tissue and see if it could is in any way similar to the mind okay do they share any qualities and this is Kiruja's argument What are the qualities of living physical matter has to be one of five sense faculties. Okay? Living tissue has has only five mental things that go on about it. It's either aware of something you can see, aware of something you can hear, aware of something you can smell, taste, or feel. And if you think about it, all physical matter has one of those living physical matter has one of those five qualities, you know? If if it's uh, optical nerve tissue at the back of the eyeball it has the ability to sense colors and shapes. If it's uh, other parts of living physical matter, it has the ability to feel heat and cold and hunger and touch, softness, roughness, okay? But if you think about it, there's not a part of your living body which doesn't function to perceive one of the five sense objects, okay? That's shtick. That's what living physical matter does, okay? Does the mind have to do that? You know, does every instance of mind... Is is every instance of mind involved with one of the five senses? Is your mind always seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting or touching? They say no. Okay, there's no similarity between living physical matter. The essential quality of a cause and a result is that they bear some similarity that the result somehow has the qualities or characteristics of the cause. There is none. You, you can have a mind with, without any one of the five and without all five of the physical senses. Okay? You can think independent of the senses. Okay? And, and if mind were created from the sense powers, from the living physical tissue which is defined by the five senses, it should have some of those qualities. You should be able to Close your eyes and see what's on the other side of the room, because you have a mind. So it should have at least one, at least one or two of those sense faculties, sense consciousnesses, sense abilities, and it doesn't. Okay, and that's hard. By the way, most of these arguments are hard. You got to cook them. To Americans who have been brainwashed by their first grade teachers on, and didn't I didn't have a chance to brainwash you for more than an hour, then you will you will side with the, your culture against what's logical and it will send you illogical what I say, but it is logical you have to go over it again, okay? you have to think about it. Logic can overcome the whole fairy tales of your culture, but you have to give it a chance. And, and I assert that the belief that future lives don't exist is just simply a fairy tale foisted on you by your culture, you just didn't think about it carefully, okay? it's not true it's simply not true is it just uh, that we say that and they say that no, your life depends on this if it's true that your mind goes on you have to take care of things now because you could die tonight and, and it may be that after you die you don't have a chance to straighten things out you see what I mean so if, if how, what are the odds up to now in most people's minds 2%? 3%? that's what kept Hamlet from killing himself you know do you remember? You know, to be or not to be? That's the question. And he goes through this argument with himself. He comes out with about 5%. He says, to die, to dream, oh, to dream, and he says, uh-oh, what if I can think after that? You know? And then he stays his hand. you know, he decides not to kill himself, just on the 5% chance that he doesn't stop thinking after that, okay? So at least to give it 5%, all right? So that's the proof uh, that's the argument against Wangbo soup, Okay? I just say it What's Wangbo <laughs> Wangbo means uh, sense powers. soup means physical matter. Living physical tissue. Okay? Cannot cause the mind. It cannot be the thing which turns into the mind. It cannot be the thing that existed five minutes ago that turned into your present awareness. Because it's different. And your present awareness doesn't necessarily display any of the qualities of living physical tissue. So it's not the main stuff that turned into your mind. Did it contribute? Yes. Why? I remember the nice cup of tea I had at Gandhi Indian restaurant, which is the best one on 6th Street. Okay? And you know, the tali I had. Okay? So of course it contributes to the mind, but it's not that which turned into my mind. Okay? And you've got to get used to that. Okay. Chi soup. Chi means outer, soup means form. Chi soup means chemicals, rocks, trees, air, rain, stuff, outside physical stuff. Every physical stuff except living tissue, okay? Now we're beyond living tissue to outside stuff. Chemicals. Can the mind be created, I almost said brain, my fault, okay? Can the mind be created by chemicals? Okay. And these are the arguments against it. Um, and it's pretty simple. It's never been done.
1: Okay, no. no,
0: it's never been replicated. I mean, it's never been, they've never succeeded in the laboratory to combine a series of elements in such a way that a new thinking awareness has been created. Okay? Never happened. Okay? I mean, mankind has not been able to put together if there is such a thing, and Buddhism would say there's not, uh, the combination of chemicals uh, that would create a new ineffable knowing thing. Okay? And and there's no similarity between the qualities of outside physical matter and the ineffable, uncuttable, unweighable, undivisible, uh, going everywhere, human mind. Okay, there's no similarity between the cause and the effect. A, A, B, it's never been done. Okay, and you know they ask, tricycle called me up some day. They said, Kent, what about this genetic stuff? Do you have a comment to make?" I said, "It's cool," you know. And then they say, "Well, can you make a new mind?" I said, "No," you know. And the the buddhism would say you cannot create a new mind stream, okay? Whatever mind streams there are now have existed for all eternity and will exist for all eternity and there will be no new mind streams. And you can't kill a mind stream. Yeah? Yeah. Now can the mind attach itself to a body? Absolutely. Okay? It does. Can a mind exist independent of body? Yes. We say formless realm beings don't have bodies. Okay? There can exist a being which is knowing and aware and doesn't have a physical body. Uh, do, do minds in our realm tend to connect to bodies? Yes, they do. Okay? They, they have a relationship with the body. And frankly, when you get into Tantra, the relationship becomes quite intimate. Lung uh, means the mind and the inner winds ride in tandem. Okay? And that explains a lot of why you can get enlightened by doing Tantra. Okay? But that's another story. Okay? Okay, so Chisu, that's the argument against Chisu. I like to go on quickly so people don't give me all the objections that are here. Okay. (laughs) You will not accept these arguments in a day. They are pretty good arguments and you have to get used to them because you're fighting 20, 30, 40 years of brainwashing from your culture okay say shengi gyu shengi shen means other shengi gyu means mind stream. okay the chavakas say, okay, you did pretty good on the living tissue thing. I believe that a mind cannot, an ineffable, uncountable, unweighable, crystalline knowing thing cannot be created from living physical tissue. And I also think your argument against sulfur and oxygen and iron is pretty good. Uh, so let's say that the cause of your mind has to have been the mind." From the moment before. Has to have been something mental, okay? I agree that it could not have been something physical that turned into your consciousness, which is a totally different stuff, okay? But can you prove to me that the cause wasn't somebody else's mind, meaning your parents' mind, okay? Your parents, at the moment of your conception, uh, are so intimate, and this thing meets this other thing, and and their mind creates a new mind stream, okay? And then, uh, a lot of these arguments seem silly because they're so obvious. Uh, he says, listen, uh, I heard your father was a carpenter. He says, yeah, my father's a carpenter. He says, so he's good at wood, right? I mean, he knows everything about wood and nails and tools. He says, yeah, perfect. He says, well, do you? And he says, no, I'm a clutch with a hammer. I can't do anything, you know. He says, so you got your answer. Okay? That there should be some similarity between the, the mind stream that causes the other mindstream. If the one mind stream had any kind of characteristics, tendencies, tend to anger, tend towards peacefulness, tend towards, has a specific skill which has been imbued through that mind stream for decades, and tell me that the child exhibits none of those skills or none of those abilities or none of those tendencies towards those kinds of emotions, it doesn't make sense. Okay? Yeah.
1: But mind changing, I mean, uh, says
0: the mind stream is changing, otherwise you couldn't get in mind. I mean... Actually, the mind stream is changing. Yeah, this But so is the father's mindstream. stream. It's not like you forget how to do carpentry five years later or something. There should be some kind of... The child should exhibit some kind of... Of the tendencies, emotional tendencies, and the abilities. Okay, the child's not developed enough to hold a hammer yet. But they should at least show some kind of tendencies. Even five, ten years later. You know, I haven't... Uh, done piles of diamonds now for three years but you put a pile of diamonds in front of me and it's like yeah, you know what I mean it's like there should be some tendency towards that some kind of ability towards that thing not that they would totally forget it you know in, in a year or two years or something like that and especially emotional if the father, we used to make fun of all the minister's kids in our school because they were always the worst ones you know what I mean Like the daughter or son of a rabbi or a, or a priest or, or a minister was always like the worst kid in the school, and they said they, they didn't seem to be much emotional or contentual similarity to the mainstream of their parents. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Get when I did it before. How did I do it before? When did I do it before? Uh, you just mentioned that, uh, you know, at this point we're talking
1: about the stream of awareness and we're not referring to, to content as a, a
0: completely separate thing. No, I think we'd have to talk about content. I don't remember, I think I did say something like that, but I don't remember yeah. when. About what, though? I don't remember about what. But well, it seems like <coughs>
1: you could make a division of both yeah. and, yeah. At, and awareness could be a result of something else, without
0: carryover of time? Um, I don't think, you see, you're talking about the difference between, in Buddhism we distinguish between awareness and mental functions, okay? So the raw consciousness, the fact that you are aware, is called Sosem, which means main mind, or main awareness. And then you have Semchus, which are called, which are mental functions, like anger, attention, uh... Dull, you know, sleepiness, you know, uh, all kinds of jealousy, uh, all, all kinds of things like honesty, you know, traits like that. Um, but they are said to be, I, I don't think you can divide, it's difficult to divide those from main mind. You know, you can't say like you could shake them out of the main mind and main mind would still be there or something like that. You see what I mean? You can't. There are like at least five in one school, ten in another school, mental functions that are always concomitant with mind, that you couldn't have a mind that doesn't have attention. You couldn't have a mind that didn't have any intelligence at all, uh, although you may have met some people like that, but, or, or things like that, you know, certain qualities, certain parts of the content are, are what we call uh which means they, they always come with mind.
1: So, yeah.
0: And if you're thinking about the, the dependent arising of, yeah. of the awareness and the
1: objects, then you have to have something there, but if you think it more a like the mind often, idea that wouldn't
0: be. So. By the way, when you get into Madhyamika, all of this stuff becomes different. I mean, yeah. we're in the second of the four schools, and don't forget it. When you go out to Madhyamika, it's much more subtle. The mind is the projection of the mind. Your awareness is a projection of your mind. I mean, that's the ultimate truth about the nature of the mind. But that's a whole another... We're not going there, or we'll never finish. Okay?
1: Yeah.
0: I bet you could put a big den in them from the Prasangika point of view. Uh, because ultimately, it's not the mind that goes on. It's the projection of a going on. Okay? And that is the going on. And it's just as real as going on. Okay? And that's a long story.
1: Yeah? Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, you could say that. Right. Okay, you could say that. We were talking about near linking you, yeah.
1: Yeah. I think most Westerners, you know, um, believe, and you know, I'm using, a, I'm using the metaphor of a, of, a, of an intelligent machines. Um, certainly, they're intelligent machines, and I think most Westerners believe that yes, if machines become more and more intelligent, that there will be um, aspects of awareness that um, will become a part of that. Um, would you say? Um, would you would you say? say that most likely in the future you would get to the point that one that you know total awareness would never be possible or two that there would be like, another type of conscious being that a mind shape sure would it attach itself
0: to Yeah. I mean basically asking I have heard his holiness as has asked this question, you know, can can a computer become so sophisticated that it's a mind. You know, I use computers all day long. You know. <laughs> I use them like eight hours a day and I appreciate them. I think there's some kind of extraordinary karma that I can have at my fingertips two or three thousand Tibetan Buddhist books for anything I want. anything. I, but I, I understand exactly how they work. You know what I mean? And I understand their limitations. And I know there's no... I mean, they can be mind-like in a sense. You know, they can make so many Calculations and minute and things like that, but there's nothing conscious about it. I'm totally aware of that. I love my laptop more than anything. Uh, I was in Japan. There was an earthquake. I ran to get my laptop, you know, and
1: uh,
0: you know, and at the risk of my life, you know, and as a reflex, you know. But I, I understand completely that it will never be a conscious thing. It's not. It's a totally different thing. It's a, it's a series of operations caused by another series of operations. It's not the same thing as, as, as awareness at all. The computer is not aware. It's you know.
1: like an extension of the mental science, just the same way that actually the it Yeah, it's
0: very similar to that, yeah. But it's in no way conscious. The, the computer's not aware of me at all. You see what I
1: mean? Okay.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I think they'll be faster, and they'll be so fast they'll look mind-like, and that it won't be mind at all. Okay. Uh, let me see if there's one more thing here. Mm. The only other thing to cover, and you'll do it in your breakout groups, is... So why do some minds have to get reborn and some minds don't? Okay? Why, what's the difference? Okay? If we're talking about where life comes from, if we're arguing about how the mind evolves over the course of thousands or millions of years then what, at what point does the mind no longer have to come back to this kind of world where you can die and where there's pain and suffering and things like that? What's the difference between the mind of what we call a, a non-returner and the mind of a once-returner? What is it that makes you come back? You know, What is it at the moment of death that makes you have to come back to this kind of suffering? You know, And then they go into that. Basically, it relates to, are you perceiving things as self-existent or not, okay? Uh, which, which is to say, do you have the desire or the negative emotions that are forced on you by seeing things as not being emptiness, not being empty, okay? If you misunderstand reality at the moment of death and therefore have some negative emotions, you must be reborn. That's the shtick. That's the argument. Okay? You will be reborn. Until you can perceive emptiness directly, and until you can use that understanding to stop your negative emotions permanently, which is nirvana, you must be reborn. You will be reborn. The mind must perceive another existence in this kind of suffering. Okay? So that's the difference. And there's a list of things that can trigger a rebirth, and there's a list of thoughts that don't trigger rebirth. We'll do that in the breakout groups. We're running a little late, so please have a short break, and then we'll come back and do your groups.
1: Thank you. By
0: the way, I'm going to project up here the Tibetan for all the homework to save the group. we are start again. Whoa. This is my plug for Monday night. You've got to come, okay? This is the CD book. <laughs> There's, I think it's about 1,000 or 2,000 hours of work by people. It's, it's five years of work. And it just came out about two hours ago. And uh, you can't see it unless you come. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, but just, just to be aware, like there's 2,500 two manuscripts that have been saved and they're the ones that you're getting fed and it's the kindness of hundreds of Tibetans who have worked for 12 years and uh, a lot of the people around you who have literally spent all night up I think Genevieve was pulled two all-nighters in a row to finish the CD uh, this week and uh, all around you, people who spent a lot of time for that so anyway, come Monday and celebrate, okay? Uh, very short thing about we've been talking about ACI, structure of ACI what ACI teaches serious spreading Buddhism in the United States and uh, I wanted to talk tonight about the governance of such a uh, an organization okay we have a very good sponsor who uh, came up to me and said one day how are you going to guarantee that a hundred years from now uh, this baby this cool baby Buddhism in the United States doesn't become some corrupt uh, church organization that uh, ends up being more, you know, the dogma ends up being more suffering to people than the than the teachings do help people. You see what I mean? Like, how are you going to prevent that from happening in your organization? You know, how can you say that 300 years from now uh, or 200 years from now, uh, the people who study Buddhism in your classes or the people who come after them won't be just as dogmatic or just as causing as much pain as some of the other traditions have caused, and even the Tibetan traditions in tibet uh where people were killed or tortured or enslaved or or harmed or or arguments fought broke out between sex and how are you going are you going to do about that michael roche and I'm like you know, <laughs> how could, what am I supposed to do? It's a couple hundred years from now, you know? Uh, and I think it's a fair question, because right now, because we are so new, everything is fresh. We haven't had time to have any uh, inquisitions yet, or uh, burn anybody, or or have uh, fights between the Americans. We're starting, we have a good start on something, things, but uh, we don't really have any all-out hassles and arguments or